Welcome everybody, you're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning and you are with the Triple L team this morning, Lyle. And Lawson and Liam, what a time to be alive! <laughs> <laughs> what a time to be alive, that's for sure. What are you guys thankful for this morning? Oh, uh, oh, okay. I'm thankful that I saw an incredibly uh, hectic movie last night. Very exposing on some uh, some really bad Christianity that we see in our world. Um, some really profitable Christianity that we see in our world. And uh, yeah, the movie's called American Gospel. Uh, there's actually a second one that's about to come out. But yeah, this Ooh. one is called In Christ Alone, I believe that this this one's called. The first one that they made. And it's it was hectic. I, I was watching it with my sister. And we were just like, this is, this is insane. It's just like exposing bad Christianity, which is something that we like to do here on radio. But yeah, I was like, this is epic, bro. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's one of those things that often I find myself too quick to defend Christianity. Mm. You know, because Christianity is my tribe. It's, you know, it's part of what I belong to. And so, you know, people will, uh, you know, jump in there and try and def- try and attack Christianity. I'm like, yeah, well, no, 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 and try and defend it. Whereas the Bible says that Christianity at the end of time is called Babylon. Mm. Yeah, we should wow. expect, Just we because should someone's expect, a Christian doesn't necessarily mean, you know. That's right. We should expect absolute corruption in Christianity at the end of time. That should be the expectation. And that's what this documentary is all about. It is. Like, it oh, is I've, I've it seen is it before. So hectic. <laughs> <hectic. laughs> it's so, like, just exposed, bro. Like, and it's good too. It's like a, it's a, it's a good balance, relatively balanced take on it. So, yeah, good stuff. What are, what are you guys grateful for? Uh, just quickly, I'm, I'm thankful to be back on radio, but also a little bit later today, I'm going to be uh, getting to share a little bit of my testimony with some people. So I'm pretty oh, excited for that too. I'm just looking up a Bible verse to go with this movie. Um, It says here, For the ten horns which you saw upon the beast, these shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom to the beast um, until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And this movie is kind of a part of... That right yeah. there. About, yeah, just, just exposing the corruption of Christianity and laying it bare for the world to see. This is a reminder you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. There you go, Liam, joining us back in the studio and just smashing out the weather like he's been doing his entire life. <laughs> so, uh, going up today yeah. in news, we've got this really, really off-the-chart story coming out of Jerusalem uh-huh. with some evangelicals mm-hmm. acting like Jesuits. Oof. Mm. That's going to be a wild story.
Last time. Welcome back, Lawson. Good to have you here on the show. <laughs> the mics are on, Lawson. Just yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> but we were just trying to communicate the epic prize yes. from our epic quiz. Okay, let's talk about it. So, by the way, that was Lauren Daigle. But uh, let's oh talk about yeah, the yeah. Prize. Shout out Lauren <laughs> Daigle. How can it be? All right, let's go to the quiz. Person, this is a person quiz. Lyle, this person was faithful. To the Lord. Oi. <laughs> <laughs> where do we start? All right. Where do we start with this one? All right. Let's start, start sending, you, sending you guesses through, guys. Who was it that was faithful to the Lord? Oh, do we have, do we and, have a pen? Uh, yeah, we've got pens here. Yeah, give me a pen, Lyle. Stop trying to cheat. And uh, <laughs> I'll write something down just to get us started. It's not Abraham. Okay, Abraham. Keep, pass, 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 pass. Abraham was faithful. The Bible says he was a man of faith. Probably one of those ones where you can go through Hebrews chapter 11 and just start at the top. Okay, so pass, my, me, pass me my pen So my, No, my first guess for like the last three days have been Jesus. Jesus, the, Jesus is the answer. Jesus yeah, is the answer. Yeah, because all of the quizzes fitted him. I know that we did a Jesus quiz like a couple of weeks ago, but I just wanted to get rid of it for the listeners out there. It's not Jesus. Okay, Trust guys, me. start sending some clues through. And our... Our prize, our prize for the quiz is the book Last Day Events by Ellen White. Okay, it is also not Elijah. Yeah. We're actually just talking about, and speaking of last day events, we're talking about how there was a tornado, three of them up in Tari. Uh-huh. Like just the most the- gnarliest weather stuff happening in Australia. Just, 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 leave, just leave it there. Well, no, 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 it's my pen. We're trying to counter We're just tossing things around <laughs> Yeah, did you see the the the, uh, the 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 pictures of it in the Newcastle Herald? It's wild yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's insane. Like literally off the coast, sort our, of sucking up water. Yeah, but our Thankfully. world is just going wild, and this is all like what this book is about. So, if you know the answer, if you know who was faithful to the Lord, the right person who was faithful to the Lord, obviously we're going to give more clues. You can give us a call at one eight hundred three two four eight four three. That's one eight hundred Faith FM, or you can send us a text at zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Mate. Fantastic. Tell us some positively different news, guys. Positively different. Okay, remember how, like, I always do... Uh, before like- we do, um, Liam, you've got some positively different news. What are you... What, oh, you've already told us what you're doing this morning. Yeah, you're going to be yeah. doing a testimony. Up yeah. At school. D- yeah, we've got a school down the road from, right. uh, from the studio, and I'm going to go to worship for them and uh, share a little bit of my story. Indeed. Dude, Indeed. epic. Let's Nothing go. more powerful than a testimony. Not necessarily mine. Well, I mean, to some people it might be, but if you've got your testimony, make share sure it. that you share it with people. Absolutely. You, you, Amen. Some people can only relate to you. Okay, do you remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about how they're like they've come up with a new formula to turn like carbon emissions into food for cows? Yes. And how this is like again, you know, this is the good news section, but it's usually just I kind of wonder whether news. we're going to get mad cow disease from it. Yeah, or it's just some kind of disease if we're if like you're eating cows that feed on Carbon. Like literal exhaust, <laughs> like 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 exhaust fumes, like packed. I mean, into we a tried food. we tried feeding cows with meat pellets, and we got mad cow disease. Mm-hmm. So yeah, anyway. Now now we just get liver poisoning. Isn't that anyways so, feeding feeding cow with cow essentially? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that makes no sense. No, it doesn't. No. But check it out. So now a, a laundry detergent company, like one of the biggest ones that make all the different laundry detergents, uh, it's called Unilever, makes like Omo and all those different yes, ones. Yes. They've now come up with a system to make soap out of carbon emissions. 
Okay. So previously, like soap and those things are all made out of fossil fuels, right? Right. And then, but now they're like, oh, we'll just make it out of the byproduct of fossil fuels. So when I'm camping, when I go four wheel driving and camping, like in the outback, mm-hmm. this means that I can bathe in the exhaust fumes of my four wheel drive. Is that the idea here? <laughs> no, no, no. This is like this is why Unilever, the company, exists, Lyle, so that they can make this stuff for you from your exhaust. Unless you've got one of their machines, you need you, that's 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 why they exist. I'm kind of thinking if I look at my exhaust, <laughs> I probably I probably come out pretty sooty. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you, yeah, you won't be clear. But again, I'm wondering. I'm okay. So like soaps and all that stuff already has fossil fuels in it, um, and but we use them. But furthermore, like this will be like used fossil fuels that will be repurposed as soaps. And I'm like, will this have a negative effect on our health? What will that do to your skin? Exactly. This is this What is will it be absorbed through your pores? Exactly. Yeah. This is my thought, What's it going guys? to do to scientists in a million years from now when they try and carbon date us? Ooh. Oh. Oh. You know, they won't because we're going to be in heaven. Very soon. Amen, amen, amen. But essentially, yeah, this is, this actually, that's a really good thought. Like, not a million years from now, but someone like dies and like 10 years later, like they text him, like, they got carbon in them. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, it might mess with thought. forensic science when you find a skeleton and you're trying to date the skeleton to identify the person. Mm. I wonder whether that could mess with um, it's carbon with carbon dating. carbon. That's insane. But yeah, I, I don't know. I was just reading this this morning. I was thinking about it. I was also thinking about the fact, you know, they got some statements here. Oh, this is a good thing because you know where it's it's sustainable and all that stuff. But if they're phasing out fossil fuels, then it's not going to be sustainable. Then it's not going to be sustainable. Like from any perspective, fossil fuels just. Letting you know, Lawson, they're never going to be phased out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I know that you are desperate to get rid of fossil fuels. They are here to stay. No, nah, no, nah, it's, it's going to happen, Lyle. <laughs> the Lord's going to come before we run out. I think um, with with this product, I don't know. I, I don't see any potential with it for for human consumption or f- for use on humans. But I, I think I can I can see some use for it on other things like like other cleaning products that don't need to be used on humans that don't affect humans. So uh, something to wash your car with. Yeah, something yeah. to wash your car. Cause no, but this is specifically like laundry soap. To wash your clothes. Yeah, to wash your clothes. But like then you Even wear Even that could still clothes. affect, yeah. Yeah, then you wear your clothes. They like have direct contact with your skin all day, every day. So, you know, it's, it's a bit gnarly. It's a bit touchy. Anyways, yeah, yeah good. To, I, I guess we'll see how that, you know, once this gets rolled out, I guess we'll see what happens. All right. I have something to talk about that literally scared me when I, when I, I know we're doing good news this morning, but this is like, this is hectic. I, I need you guys to look at this photo. I need you to look at this photo of like the biggest moth I've ever seen in my what? life. What? Oh, I saw this. I saw like, this. This was like not okay. Alien. Oh, this was not okay, this. This, this is insane. So basically uh, a school, this is found in a primary school. Oh. If I saw this as a primary ch- children, I'd like as a child. scarred for life for I sure. Would, no, dude. I'd be picking that thing up. It That's looks cool. Like it's a moth. Alien. All moths look like aliens. But it, moths size are aliens. Small Didn't you dog. know this? <laughs> but literally, it has a wingspan of 25 centimetres and it weighs 30 grams. Oh. That's amazing. I want one. That's, this is like the biggest moth I think anyone has ever seen. Nah, there's probably How can bigger, I grow but... a moth like this? What does it eat? <laughs> yeah. I, I, when I was a kid, we did um, silkworms uh-huh. and watched them turn into moths and then make more silkworms. It was mm. just using mulberry leaves and so forth. It was so much fun. 
I loved it. it was just that's actually pretty cool. It was. It was. Yeah, but were any of them thirty grams and twenty five <laughs> no, centimeters were about long? Twenty five millimeters. Ooh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah they were all small. But yeah, this no, but huge. 30, 250 oh. millimeters and, across. And again, they found it in the school. They were just like, you know, the students and the staff. And apparently none of the students or staff were scared because, you know, that's a pretty common thing up in Mount Cotton in Queensland. Okay. They have lots of <laughs> wildlife there, lots of... And when I say wildlife, I truly mean life. That is wild, like really hectic insect yeah. and all this stuff. Liam comes from Queensland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You do get some interesting creatures up there. But yeah, they saw this and they were like... I mean, my brothers are up there. They're pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Go. And listening to the show this morning. <laughs> oh, yeah. <actually>. Morning, boys. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, okay, so what kind of moth is it and how often do you... Uh, where, where can I go and see one? So this is um, uh, like a giant moth. Uh, yes. That literally really? is just called a, a giant moth. I think it has another name. I'm just probably got a... It's probably got a, a giant wood moth. Oh. It's a giant wood moth. Because Original. it looks like a piece of wood. Um, also, also known as an endoxylla cinereus. Yeah, nice. Mm-hmm. Yep, one of those. Mm-hmm. It it belongs to the Cossidia family of moths. Um, and it survives only a few days as an adult. Oh, oh that's oh, pretty typical moth. How big is the worm? Oh, that's true. It's probably... Really big. Ooh. Imagine, imagine, uh, imagine, imagine your garden variety, you know, blackbird or something rather that try and catches this particular moth, and the <laughs> moth is bigger than the bird. Yeah, that's the, all we're looking at here. There's a lot of birds out there that are a lot smaller that eat moths all the time. They're a lot smaller than that moth. <laughs> but yeah, bird goes to try and take the moth, and the moth turns around and is like, yeah, nah, not today. I'll take you instead. <laughs> It's like you're mine now. Sorry, it just like flips. flips I want to see one. The food Creation chain. is amazing. You I know, know when you look at the fossil record and everything was so much bigger. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of thing that reminds me of what our world used to be like yes. Yes. back in the Garden of Eden, and one day what our world will be like in the future. Mm. This is Eclipse with for the beauty of the Earth.
You're listening to Eclipse 6 with For the Beauty of the Earth. Such a great song to come after that um, that story that you had yeah. about that giant moth. Yeah. I just, I really want to see one. That's just amazing. Dude, let's go. All right. Second clue for the quiz. I'm just reading. I'm, okay. Yep. Yep. All right. Oh. So first clue, I was faithful to the Lord. Second clue, I carried on the Lord's work. Oh, all right. Um, thinking the gears are turning. The gears are turning. Oh, Lawson, uh, Liam's going to go and write something down. He's going to uh, put so something down. So it's not here. Joe. We've had a couple guesses for Job. Who else is it not? Who is it not? It's not Paul. It's not Paul. It's not Paul. Not Paul. Oh. Okay, so uh, uh, there's all kinds of stuff being written down right now. While people are writing stuff down, maybe I will uh, announce the number to call so that you can send in your guesses. Uh, 1-800-324-843 or you can text us on 0491-064-669. Send them through with your answers. We need to eliminate a whole bunch of people who carried on the Lord's work and were faithful. That is actually very broad. And so the more <laughs> answers we can get, the closer we can get to the actual answer. I wrote so Peter. do send them through. I wrote Peter because I was just like, he fits that category too. I feel like this refers to a verse where it specifically says that they carried on the Lord's way. We're getting some nods from the studio. Thank you. Anyway, I'm, I'm, a, bit, I'm a bit dodgy about this um, Peter that you've written down here. It's just got me very sus at the moment. <laughs> is, there a, is there a different Peter? <laughs> it's just got me so sus. Okay. That, well, that your mind would go there. But to, anyway. To Peter. Speaking about things that are sus. He's known for not what? being faithful for a brief moment. Let's talk about the Jesuit order. Okay, okay, let's go. Because I think that fits well with uh, this current context. <laughs> okay. So the Jesuit order, um, otherwise known as the Society of Jesus, has a history of infiltrating other Christian denominations as a part of what was called the Counter-Reformation. So, for mm. instance, one of my favorite famous, not favourite, but famous ancestors, an individual by the name of Sir Robert Southwell. It's not sorry, Sir Robert, St. Robert Southwell. St. <laughs> Robert Southwell was actually caught uh, in the UK back in the day 
um, infiltrating the Anglican Church, and he'd been posing as an Anglican priest for three years mm-hmm. as a Jesuit priest. And this was all part of their strategy to bring the Protestant churches back to Rome. And when he was caught, he was then hung, drawn, and courted, and, of course, later turned into a saint. So, you know, back in the day, things were pretty brutal. And you're related this, okay, to yeah, this I was going to no, ask the obvious not, question. You're, you're, there's like, oh, yeah, he had the same last name as me, but... He had the same last name. Ah, okay, yeah, all right, Lyle, well, all right. <laughs> okay, I haven't traced it back to uh, to that particular individual yet. Doesn't mean it's not there, though. Doesn't mean it's not there. <laughs> It seems that there are two Southwell families in the UK that I've been able to establish, and uh, you've been one able of them. to. Yeah, I'm from one of them. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm from the northern one. Oh, let's go. Anyway, um, if you look at the Jesuit oath, which is still used today, mm-hmm. it states, "I do further promise and declare that, notwithstanding, I am dispensed with to assume any religion heretical for the propagating of the Mother Church's interest," mm. and so. Uh, well, you look at the trouble that they have in Christianity today and you sort of wonder, well, why would we need to have Jesuits? We're already tearing ourselves apart quite well enough as it is. But that is a tactic and a strategy that was actually picked up in recent years by an evangelical family from New Jersey and they have just been outed. Uh huh. So this is a story coming out of the Jerusalem Post. This evangelical uh, family... Uh, went to Israel as an Orthodox, posing as an Orthodox Jewish family. Uh, they were helped, helped there by the uh, Orthodox community. They even received financial uh, support as immigrants from New Jersey. Uh, the father, his name was Michael, posed as a rabbi and a mohel and a sofer. So a mohel is somebody who uh, practices circumcision and a sofer is a scribe. That's one who translates uh, Torah scrolls, phylacteries, uh, mezuzotes, uh, which is your doorpost inscriptions and so forth. So he was he was doing all of that, and this is for quite a number of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mother, they've got, uh, what, five or six children, but the mother passed away from cancer, and during uh, the, the, the time period of the cancer, she formed a, uh, a cancer support group there. Um, she had told everybody that she was the daughter of an Auschwitz survivor. Mm. And um, she, so she created a support group for women with cancer. They actually did a lot of good in their community. And um, now that they've been outed as being Christian missionaries, there's a lot of Jewish people that are questioning the valid validity of the bar mitzvahs and the circumcisions that have been performed by this particular individual mm. uh, because he's there posing as a rabbi, not, not just as a Jewish person but as a rabbi. Uh, Amanda, when she was when when she passed away, she was buried in a Jewish ceremony with all the Jewish rites, mm-hmm. and some of the Jewish people are a little bit wondering about that. You know, the Orthodox Jews, why have we got a Christian person buried in the middle of our cemetery? And that's raising some questions as well. They were finally outed when their son, on several occasions, mentioned Jesus while at school. And people started to do some investigation and it came out that when they traced them back through, they had actually arrived in Israel on false passports with false documentation and that they were actually Christians. That actually people have been a bit sus about them before and there's a group over there, a non-profit group called Led uh, Bayaninun, something like that, mm-hmm. uh, which monitors and informs on Christian missionaries because proselytization is illegal in Israel. And they had investigated this family, hadn't come up with anything, but 
Yeah, now it's all come out. So far, they are remaining in Israel. They are remaining in their home. The kids are sort of staying home from school and they're keeping a low profile. But, yeah, lying for Jesus. That is so silly. I will be the first to say that that is the, the, the single most silliest thing you could possibly do. As if God wants us to go and lie to people about what we really believe. Well, if you really believe, as the Jesuit order does, and they, they have the doctrine of the end justifies the means. Now, the problem and the danger with that doctrine is that if you can create a sufficiently good enough or define for yourself a sufficiently good enough end, then any means is allowable. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, we've not seen that sort of in evangelical circles before. I don't know. Maybe that was the doctrine that they picked up somewhere along the line. But it's a bizarre doctrine. And, you know, the Bible says, thou shalt not lie. How do you go as a missionary when the Bible says, thou shalt not lie? The question poses for the, for the people on the receiving end of those uh, of the the acts that the, the quote unquote rabbi performed, and I guess something pops into my head: Are they still valid in the eyes of the Lord? Um, I guess in the same way that if a, that's if, right. if someone were these, baptized, these were, done, these were done with good conscience. Yeah, yeah. By people, this is their sincere beliefs. Yeah. Like if someone were baptized by someone that claimed to be a pastor, but in reality actually wasn't, um, is that still a baptism? Well, actually, there's a lot of people who baptized that way because if you think about uh, how many people were baptized by pastors who were sinners. There you go. Many people. Everyone. <laughs> Everyone. Yeah, yeah, literally, <laughs> literally every single person. Exactly. Exactly but, my point right there. Oh, I, I just feel like, you know, when it comes to lying, like, and, yes. and, 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 you know, trying to kind of create a covert operation to, you know, convert people to the faith, like... How is like my brain is just the Bible says we are to be known and read yes by all, all men. men yes dude ah oh, it's just anyway. what were they expecting to happen oh, I don't know silly it's, guys it's, hey love to hear your thoughts on it yeah give us uh, a call if you, if you think there's some justification for it um, or there's a way of justifying it let us know Texas Someone was told me if you're ever questioning what you need to do for God, like if you're like, oh, if I do this, does this make it right? Or if I do it this way, does that make it right? Maybe you shouldn't be doing it in the first place. Like, that's a, that's pretty solid. It's very, yeah. it's very good advice. Very good advice right there. Okay, so uh, very quickly, another story coming out. I uh, do want to cover this one. It's been around for a couple of days now, but the Uniting Church in Australia, whose membership has been absolutely crashing astronomically, has been selling off church properties at an accelerating rate. Uh, their new conference uh, division president uh, here in Australia has decided to bring that to an end and is rather making all those properties available to church planters for a rental cost of any denomination, rental cost one dollar a year. Ooh. Sign Wait. me up. Wait, we we but okay. So so if there is a church, a uniting church property that is not being used, and let's face it, we drive past them all the time. If you're a church planter with a vision, you can have it for a dollar a year plus costs. We were just like my church was just hiring a uniting church as like for church planning. Yes, but now we're on campus. You know, and it's costing you more than what it would be if you'd have stayed in the uniting church. Anyway, that's uh, the new proposal that's come out, so start uh, lining up, getting your plans together. I'm gonna let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. 
Back, guys. That was JJ Heller with this little light of mine. You're listening to the Breakfast Show, and we've got another we've got another guest for our quiz coming up. Lawson is putting pen to paper because he has already seen the clue. Okay, Lawson, give us another name that it is not. Okay, so this quiz it's a person is faithful to the Lord, carried on the Lord's work, and they travelled through Phrygia. Okay, if you know the answer to this one, then give us a call right now. Yeah. 1-800-324-843 or text us on 0491-064-669. That narrows it down a lot. A lot. I wrote Silas and I was wrong. We've already had... So we've got Jesus, <laughs> Elijah, Paul, Peter. I wrote Silas just now. Oh, Lyle's writing. Oh. And uh, it's not Elisha or John either. And, oh, Lyle. (laughs) Yes, Lyle's got it written down on a piece of paper right here in front of me. Okay, so moving on to our interview of the day. Joining us on the phone this morning is Eliza Ma, our resident historian to talk about uh, history and history in Australia. Um, Eliza, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lyle. Fantastic to be on. Now, Eliza, I understand, I'm actually really excited about the uh, individual that we're going to be talking about today mm-hmm. because it involves technology that I really, <laughs> really like. So, ah. yes, let's talk about it. Who are we talking about? Yes. So today we're talking about John Flynn. Uh, we're talking about Reverend John Flynn. He was a Presbyterian minister. He was born in 1880 and he founded the Flying Doctor. The Flying Doctor he Service. He founded the Australian Inland Mission. Okay, so here you've got a, uh, a, a essentially a church pastor um, mm-hmm. who is into aviation. Mm-hmm. That's right. 
How far back does the, this go? When does the flying doctor service in Australia begin? It begins in 1928. So he had the idea in 1911, but then the First World War came along and everyone was much too busy um, investing in other things and trying to get other things um, to get up. But he saw he was a he'd been a Bible worker in the Red Center and um, he was now a pastor in um, a remote town in South Australia and he saw the needs of the people out there um, who didn't have who often didn't have any medical support. Now that's a, so, that's a that's a pretty revolutionary idea. I mean, let's stop and think about 1911. Aircraft have been in existence for, uh, let me work backwards from there, for seven years. So seven years mm. after aircraft have been invented, this guy's like, yeah, we need to have aircraft and we need to have a flying <laughs> doctor service. That's pretty revolutionary. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And in um, 1917, he um, had a long uh letter conversation correspondence with someone who had been a pilot in World War One uh, to figure out, you know, what are the possibilities, what, are the, what is the technology capable of? And he also started looking into two-way radio as an innovation that he could use in this service. So from 1911, it took 17 years until the first flight of the aerial medical service was made. That was made in Queensland. Um, in that time, um, you might have thought, oh, well, Flynn the Dreamer, he saw a vision of a flying doctor well before the days of practical flying, but he kept it firmly fixed in his mind, and he was a practical man when the, t- when the time came for action. Yes. So he was, um, he was obviously a, a pastor who was skilled in administration. Um, he was skilled in publicity and marketing and raising funds, the Flying Doctor Service was a charity and he had to raise all the funds for it himself. Um, and so we see this pastor who's uh, given a special skill by God um, in a similar way to the man who built the Ark of the Covenant, Bazalel, uh, who we read about in Exodus 31. Flynn was uh, given a special gift to do this work. You know, I've spent a little bit of time in the outback. I've worked in the outback on occasions and, you know, aircraft are one of those, it's it's kind of seen as one of those essential tools in the outback these days. Mm. I think every outback station has, you know, its own airstrip. Uh, often, you know, you can be driving down an outback road or even an outback highway and you'll find, you know, the piano keys just painted there in the middle of the road so that the uh, <laughs> flying doctor service can come in. Really? And oh, absolutely. Um, oh, wow. And, uh, you know, to be thinking about this in 1911, mm. that just, this is, this is, that's an incredible thought. I mean, okay, so it took a long time for that to happen. And when you look at the history of aircraft, at the beginning of the First World War, they were very fragile. And even mm-hmm. at the end of the First World War, the First World War really boosted aircraft technology incredibly mm. dramatically. But even still, there is, you know, when you talk about outback flying and uh, the vast tracts of land that you need to cover where, okay, you might be able to put an aircraft down, but you're never going to be able to walk out because there's just, you know, not the water right. available for that. And there's, you know, the story of mm. stories that of... Um, of many aviators who have been lost in the Australian outback because of that. And so mm. 
You know, if he if he had been able to start this in 1911 when he first started to think about it, or even at the end of the First World War, you do have to stop and wonder whether or not it would have been premature and more lives could have been lost than been saved. But by the time uh, the story really comes into being, um, as you mentioned here, technology has moved forward and it has, Mm -hmm. um, well, look at where the Flying Doctor Service is today. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I'm learning a lot more about aviation than I thought I would. Thank you, Lyle. (laughs) So the first aircraft they used was a a, um, de Havilland 50 aircraft, light plane, single-engine um, they leased it on very good terms from Qantas, actually, which was new in the day. Um, the organization, if you think about you know, what was happening in Australia in 1928, well, in 1929, something said in the U.S. that sent shockwaves around the world, the Wall Street crash sparked the Great Depression. Now, in a depression, are people likely to... Um, give money to charity or are people likely to just be trying to keep their heads above water? It was a miracle that this organization survived the Great Depression. And then afterwards, in 1934, Flynn thought, right, the time is right to look for this to go national. And so um, this uh, the Flying Doctor took on public support, became a public corporation in 1934, and it's just gone on from strength to strength from there. In fact, Flynn's innovation didn't just stop with the Flying Doctor Service. Um, Adelaide Metzger saw what Flynn was doing with two-way radio and actually set up the School of the Air, as she called it, as distance education. So um, for many years, Flynn was really far more than any politician a representative for people in remote communities um, who didn't necessarily have anyone to speak for them. And this wasn't just, he didn't just care about remote white settlers. Um, he was he didn't overlook indigenous people. He devoted the first issue of his magazine in 1915 to photographs and stories of the plight of the fringe dwellers in particular. Um, he said a blot on... Australia is shown on our frontispiece. There is no call for sensation. Sensation is too cheap. We need action. Um, he knew that really everyone was ignorant of how to help, but he said it is up to us to educate ourselves and mend our ways. He claimed that Indigenous people were neither incompetent nor beneath the practice of self-help. And so he really challenged Australians. He was um, this pastor, John Flynn, was one of the people speaking at the forefront of um, trying to understand how can we actually help Indigenous communities, remote Indigenous communities. And he challenged Australia, why are we, why are we sending £100,000 to Belgium to help people pushed out of um, you know, um, war and so forth in Belgium? But what about in our own backyard? How are we helping the dispossessed in our own backyard? And so he um, was a minister. He founded the Flying Doctor Service, and he really pushed Australia to consider our responsibilities when it comes to our own people. 
And I would say that that's a philosophy that has remained with the Flying Doctor Service. You know, I mean, it's it's gone on from being. Um, I, I I don't think it's something that is, you know, purely supported by donations anymore by any stretch of the imagination. Mm. But that philosophy yeah. of being there to help everyone and anyone, regardless mm-hmm. of you know who they are, their background, or or, or whatever it might be, is a mm. philosophy that remains to this day. I think. I think that, you know, as I hear this story, I'm hearing the story of somebody who was many, many, many decades ahead of their time. Absolutely. So he's ahead, of his, he's he ahead of his time in 1911. Just just having a conversation about a flying doctor service <laughs> in 1911 for Outback Australia. I mean, how far ahead of your time can you actually get than that? Mm, um, mm. And then to have this philosophy of of both you know, medical help and, you know, also education and self-help for, you know, Indigenous communities and mm. looking after our own mm. backyard and taking responsibility for Australians um, yeah. who we haven't sort of necessarily taken, you know, up until that particular point a whole lot of responsibility for, remarkably right. ahead, of his, ahead of his time. It was common enough at the time to recognise the plight of Indigenous people and say, oh, that's really terrible. Someone should do something about that. But Flynn actually, actually did something. He didn't uh, talk down to Indigenous people. He didn't just pity them. Um, he actively did something to support them. And, you know, we might look back and say, oh, Flynn was ahead of his time. Let's think about it from the other direction. Let's look at this from Flynn's perspective. The status quo is no one really goes out of their way to help Indigenous people. The status quo, Flynn decides, is against his moral values. It's against the teaching of scripture. It's with which you know, scripture teaches even your enemies um, are worthy of your service. And so Flynn takes this and says, "No, this isn't right." And he sticks his neck out and he takes a risk, and the, he became a leader on this issue. And now we can respect that, but at the time, you can just imagine what kind of a difficult situation it would have been for Flynn, what kind of a, a, a difficult decision it would be to make this choice. Yes, indeed. Tell me, with this church pastor, because that's what he is, he's a, he's a pastor, mm-hmm. was he also an aviator himself, and did he have any medical background? He um, So in his early years, he took an interest in first aid, but he didn't particularly have a medical background. He wasn't a doctor himself. Um, he wasn't a pilot himself. He, but but rather he saw a need and he had the um, the skills to organise people and to um, administer organisation to get this show on the road. So rather than you know he he didn't run it on a hands on way. He wasn't you know flying out to. Um, remote homesteads and doing first aid himself. He was a church pastor. And in fact, in 1939, he became the moderator general of the Presbyterian Church of Australia, which is like the Australian Union Conference president. That's the equivalent. So he was very much, you know, he was first and foremost a minister of the gospel. But God had given him these skills in administration and God had given him a vision for um, practically helping not just the spiritual welfare 
of outback communities, but their um, physical health as well. So as a as a pastor who's obviously involved in some very big projects, I mean, being the uh, basically the head of the Presbyterian Church in Australia, is carries mm-hmm. with it a lot of responsibility. He gets the Royal mm-hmm. Flying Doctor Service started. He gets it up and running. How long does he remain with that before he then passes it on to somebody else? Was this a lifelong project that he stayed with, mm-hmm. or you know, as those other responsibilities came on, did they consume him to the point where he had to pass it on to other people to carry the flag? Right. Well, he he retired shortly before he died, actually, in 1951. He was 70 years old. And I think part of the reason that um, Flynn had so much, you know, you might think, well, I I couldn't possibly find that much time. But um, part of the reason I think that Flynn had so much time was that he wasn't married. He didn't have children. And actually, it wasn't until he was, he did get married when he was 51, he married the secretary of the Flying Doctor Service, um, Jean Baird. Now, in that way, we see that his um, he had an opportunity to serve in the same kind of way that Paul had an opportunity to serve. Paul said, actually, it's far better not to be married. Paul wasn't married himself. It's far better not to be married because then you get all this time to serve in ministry. But if you really want to get married, then sure, go ahead. Um and so we see, practically speaking, in our own Australian history, this playing out where Flynn was able to make such a huge time commitment because he didn't have those time commitments at home. Mm. Eliza Ma, thank you so much for joining us and te- joining us this morning and telling us a fascinating story about uh, the Reverend John Flynn and the founding of the Royal Flying Doctor Service. We're going to listen to Joey and Rory with He Touched Me.
Are you looking for better TV? Station partner Hope Channel Australia focuses on faith, health, relationships and community. It's television that will change your life. Visit hopechannel.com forward slash au. That's hopechannel.com forward slash au to find out more. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. I didn't have time in my hurry today to smile at the folks I met. And I failed to kiss someone as I rushed away and I caused her to worry and fret. I didn't have time to say, how are you? Or note that the weather was fine. Tomorrow, I planned on doing these things, but today, I just didn't have time. I didn't have time to stop with a friend who needed the help I could bring, and I didn't have time, not a moment to spend, where loneliness had left its sting. Didn't have time to visit the sick or give an old panhandler a dime. And I'll wait till tomorrow or maybe next week, but today, I just don't have time. I didn't have time for upbuilding thoughts, not even a moment of prayer. I feel my whole life has gone for naught, and now it's too late to care. But as I walk down life's final mile, and I stand in God's receiving line, I somehow wonder if he just might close the gate and say, uh, remember, you didn't have time. 